morning we want to continue to talk about fishing, and uh, some of you that's a subject near and dear to your hearts, but as believers, it's a subject near and dear to all of our hearts, and, uh, and so um, we do that because Jesus in Mark chapter 1 said this to those first four fishermen um, that he was reaching out to. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, that's quite a promise because these, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, were just very run-of-the-mill guys. There was nothing special about these men. What made them special was Jesus' call for them to follow him and his promise that he would make them fishers of men. And as we saw last week, as we did a quick survey over the next three plus years, what Jesus did was he uh, took them on this journey with him, where he would teach about the kingdom of God, and Jesus himself would be fishing. That's why they are following him, because they're some of the ones that got caught. And the ones that get caught become fishermen. And so they're going with him. Uh, we looked at how uh, he sent out these 12 to be fishers of men. We looked at how he sent out the 70 to be fishers of men. We looked at uh, the night that he was betrayed. Uh, he he uh, did, if you will, a commissioning prayer upon these 12 disciples when he said this, as the Father has sent me, so I now send you. And then a few days later, just before he ascended back into heaven, he says, now you go and you make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you and I am with you to the end of the age." And so, as you go through all of that, there are two realities that we just want to reemphasize and fuel this morning even more. Those who follow Jesus fish for more followers. If that's too many words, try this. Followers fish. Say that with me. Followers fish. Has a good ring to it too, doesn't it? Followers of Jesus are going to fish because Jesus is a fisherman. He's the fisherman par excellence, and, uh, and so followers will fish. But here's another truth that's really important. There is great diversity and development on how followers fish. And, uh, and so we had some fun this week uh, in a couple different conversations that I had about fishing techniques for the fish that swim in the sea, not the two-legged fish. And, uh, and so, you know, there's all kinds of techniques, and it's kind of fun to, to relate these to fishing for people, uh, fishing for people who don't know Christ yet. So, you know, you can throw a piece of dynamite in the water, and that's one way to get fish, right? I mean, it's outlawed most places. It's still legal in some places. And, uh, and so we said, you know, maybe that's like the uh, Ray Comfort down at the pier or standing on the street. You know, you're just... Or maybe it's like a... Remember Thief in the Night? Yeah, yeah, just terrifying people into, into needing Jesus. 
And so maybe that's like that. And then there's net fishing. That would be maybe uh, where, where you're doing your Christian club at school or uh, a crusade or some group where, where you're, you're gathering a larger group of people together and, and having the opportunity to share the gospel. And then, of course, there's uh, single pole fishing. And that would be maybe the one-on-one encounters that you have with people. And then, of course, uh, sometimes in fishing, you chum the waters, right? You throw a bunch of stuff in there to, so the fish will come eat. That's kind of like our spinners this summer. Uh, that's just chumming the water. It's just uh, creating uh, an attraction or something that we do to try to have an opportunity uh, to get the gospel out and to fish. Um, here's what I know. When you get around people who fish for fish in the sea, fish in the water, they love to talk about fishing. Have you ever noticed that? If you're one of them, just say guilty. And if you're not one, you know what it's like to be around them. I mean, there are fish stories. There's talking about what they've learned, what they'll never do again, what they're planning on. And if they're Christian fisher men and women, they even pray about their fishing. Oh, God, help me to catch the biggest fish. Help me to catch a fish. And when they catch a fish, they say, praise God. Thank you for allowing me to catch this fish. The same is true amongst followers of Jesus. Uh, when you get together with other followers of Jesus who are fishing for people, guess what they like to talk about? And I've had a bunch of conversations this week, just like every week, where you just get around people who are followers of Jesus and they want to talk about how they're trying to reach people with the gospel, how they're trying to love people, how they're trying to help people understand the love of God that they might have the life of God. And, uh, and it's just really an exciting thing to be a part of here at Calvary. And, um, and so that's true. And so I want to have one of our fishermen come up and tell you a story, uh, some of what he's doing in his fishing, Tom Lazier. Uh, Tom, come, tell us how you're fishing. Or one of the ways. You fish in a lot of ways. But tell us about one way at least. <laughs> well, good morning, folks. Um, I don't know, is John Mag here? Is he in the back? John Mag, way back there in the corner. This is really a dual testimony. It's uh, John and Tom. When we talk to people and they, they say, well, what was your name again? We say, well, you remember that surgery they do on pictures? They call the Tommy John surgery. I'm Tommy, he's John. So <laughs> they can remember that. So, so I guess it was about 18 months ago, John and I, uh, being of like mind, I think we felt the tug of the Holy Spirit saying to us, we aren't doing enough fishing. And let's, why not the two of us just start doing some fishing around locally. So we've been going out for that period in the neighborhood and just knocking on doors. Um, and and it, it, sometimes they answer and sometimes they don't. If they don't answer, why well, we give them one of these. We stick it in the door. And you ought to all carry these. They're the neatest little card. It just says you're invited Calvary Baptist Church. You know, no, no threat to it. You don't have to feel uncomfortable or anything. So we've left uh, 600 of those. We've knocked on over 600 doors. We keep track. I'm not sure that's right or wrong, but it's just the accountant engineer in me, and I keep track. So, so two, of those 676 doors we've knocked on, 246 have opened, and we've talked to them. And what we say is the simplest thing on earth is, I'm Tom, and this is John, or vice versa, it's said. 
Uh, we're from Calvary Baptist, and uh, we'd just like to come out and see if you have anything we could pray for. And then we stop and don't say anything more and let the Holy Spirit work. It's amazing what happens there. Uh, you know, a small percentage says, get on down the road. Can't you read? This says no, soli no soliciting. And we say, well, God bless you, brother. And we dust off our feet, and, uh, and off down the road we go. But for the most part, people are really quite, uh, who come are quite, uh, quite nice. And uh, in fact, um, well, while we're there, if, if the occasion arises, we carry these little living water, Book of John, uh, and we hand those out uh, to people when it's relevant. And then, just like Eric Eisman has taught us, why we keep these little Gideon Bibles that are marked, you know, with the little path to salvation there, go to page this and read that and so on. And, and we've used that uh, quite a bit, too, as a part of our gear. And so uh, just a, a couple of a little anecdotes. Uh, I can remember, been quite a long while ago, we knocked on a door, and the, and the lady said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. My father's dying. Could you come in and pray for him? Uh, that was an unexpected uh, opportunity. So we went in and did. Uh, John and I prayed for this guy who was in bed, and he didn't look very like he wasn't too long, and uh, that was really, uh, I think it was encouraging to, to us and to them. Uh, just the last time we were out, we went down at the foot of the Garfield. If you hook around on Newland and come back, there's a whole track that I didn't even know was there. And we worked that track, and I remember one of the people was a, a gal by the name of Diana. Uh, she's a very nice gal, Catholic. She's been uh, acting as a... Uh, a foster mom for over 50 years, and she's treated 192 kids, hosted 192 kids, mostly crack babies, and in fact, we could hear one crying in the background, this old lady, so we prayed for her and her ministry. Another would be a guy by the name of Mario down in the same area, has a home there, a recovery home for addicts, and uh, so we prayed for him and uh, his ministry there, too, so, and of course, um, so, so what we do is really old school, knocking on doors. And it's not for everybody, I understand that, but we're crusty old men, we don't care if somebody tells us to <laughs> get down the road. And, and, so, and so we enjoy doing it and we look forward to, uh, to being together. We've learned a couple of things. One thing we've learned is sometimes we rush out and start doing it and things aren't going well and we realize we didn't pray before. So we'll stop instantly and pray right then for the Holy Spirit to be with us because we know it's not us doing anything that's good. It's the Holy Spirit doing it. And I can tell you, as Pat said, these little jam-packed spinners, I have one left over. If there's anybody that would, you know, some young person that would <laughs> like to have it. We gave over about three dozen of these uh, out during that period of time. That has a smash. Whoever dreamed that up, I think it was Steve Brooks, if I'm, uh, Stephen Brooks, if I'm not mistaken. But this was a fantastic idea. That I even passed them out in Albertson's Market. Uh, for a while, and that was, I should have done that earlier, because it was the most effective. In 15 minutes, I gave away five of these, because you see a family walking, just walk up to them and say, hey, I can see uh, Johnny here, uh, do you think, he, to the parent, never talk to the kid, do you think that he would like one of these spinners, and Johnny goes, wow, yeah, I gotta have it, and uh, so uh, we said next time that we ought to print it on the spinner, because they tear off the package and it's gone, and that's what had Calvary Baptist on it, so... <laughs> So I tell you what, I know what we do is not for everybody, and it even is criticized by some. It's, there's seven categories of evangelical outreach, um, and this is one, and it's just called neighborhood canvassing, 
It's kind of old school and it's going out of style. The Jehovah Witness and Mormons still like to do it. Uh, and uh, so a lot of people are surprised we're Baptists when, <laughs> when we come and do it. But, uh, and sometimes it's uh, what's called, uh, there's another name, a tract evangelism. When you take and hand out things like this, it's tract evangelism. They all have their pros and cons. You know, our church kind of standardized on 8 to 15, uh, which means it's called relational uh, evangelism. You, you share the gospel with people that you know really well. But with John Mag is so good, uh, we, we, we have a relation with these people, you know, two minutes after we're talking to them. So it's kind of relational as well, just a short-term relation. But I tell you what, if you would do me a favor, uh, if you would look in the pew in front of you, uh, in the little holder there, in the little holes. Do, do that right now if you would. Just look in the little, you'll see a, a silver top pen looks like this. Uh, and, on that, and on that pen, if you just take that out, please. And, and if you're in the front row, there's a couple sitting in the seat and we got them up there right by the, uh, so you can find these little pens. Just take that if you would. And during the next week, uh, tell yourself, commit to yourself, I'm going to give this to one person who doesn't go to Calvary Baptist. It'd be ideal if it's a person that doesn't know Jesus, but you may not know that. So just, just commit to yourself. You'll give the, it's the least threatening, smallest step of evangelism there is, of outreach. You just reach your hand out and say, would you, would you like this pen? Or you don't really have to say anything. So just say, here. Well, I guess that's saying something. But, but, <laughs> but, but just hand them, hand them the pen. And then leave it to the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't get all theological or anything and see what happens. You know, they're going to say, uh, wow, purple. And you say, yeah, did you know that's the color of kings? And we're talking about King Jesus here at this church. So there's all kinds of ways you can take that. So I'm going to be praying for you for this next week for everybody as they give their one pen to somebody that they encounter during the week. Thanks. Amen. Thank you, Tom, and thank you, John, for your faithfulness in doing that. Uh, so what's the point? There's a lot of diverse ways of fishing. And the reality is, is the people that fish and care about catching fish are not critical of other people's methodology. Because there's a lot of people who need to hear. And that's part of what we're going to be reminded of this morning as we look at Jesus developing these 12 that were the closest to him. So grab a Bible and turn over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And we want to go through uh, Jesus uh, laying the foundation and showing some of the attitude that's necessary uh, to be a fisher of men. Because remember, Jesus is fulfilling his promise to these men. I will make you fishers of men. And this is one of those key points where he's saying, here's the attitude you need to have, and here's the actions that you need to be involved in. And, uh, and so we want to we just uh, let the Lord uh, develop us even this morning uh, to be more fishers of people as well. So begin in verse uh, 35. Let me pray before we begin in verse 35. So Spirit of the living God, would you bring these words, this encounter of the Lord Jesus with the people and with the 12. And Spirit of God, thank you for this word that's like water that comes from heaven to wash us and to bring greater life of Christ in us. 
And so we trust you for that in a way that is very personalized to each and every one of us, all for your glory. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, let's begin in verse uh, 35 there. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages. Now, this would have been in the area of Galilee, so it's in the northern part of Israel. But Jesus is going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphys and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who, had betray- who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts, or a bag for your journey, or even two coats or sandals, or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. In whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace." Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And he goes on, but let's stop there this morning. And let's notice, first of all, uh, what's going on in verse 35 there. Jesus is taking the message of the gospel. He's teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, is the rule that God brings to an individual's life. Through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a rule that comes from the perfect, full love of God, and it is a rule that brings the full life of God. Now, ultimately, the fullness of that life will be in heaven, but there is a growing aspect to that life in this world, and that life is entered into by a person recognizing that they need a Savior, that Savior is Jesus Christ, and through His redemptive work, All our sins are paid for, death is done away with, and life is given. 
And then the rule of the kingdom of God grows then in a follower's life as Jesus is their Lord and as He calls the shots more and more. To the extent that Jesus is Lord, people live in the love of God and experience the life of God again until we take our final breath or the Lord returns and we go to heaven. And so Jesus is doing that. And in verse 36 and 37, we see the attitude that he has when he sees people. Now, just think about the way you see people. And and here's the challenge, and this is a huge challenge, or at least it is for me. Do I see people the way Jesus sees people? And specifically, the people who are not following Jesus. Do we see them the way Jesus sees them? Look at his attitude. First thing about his attitude there in verse 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. He feels compassion. Jesus is developing people who will be fishers of people. And what's he saying? There should be a feeling when we see people who are not yet followers. What should that feeling be? What should it be? Compassion. Literally, uh, an inner angst of concern, an upsetness that comes in. Now, now, people, followers of Jesus, just like Jesus, are not to be driven by their feelings. But when their feelings are based upon the facts, then those are holy feelings. And Jesus here feels compassions based upon the facts And he goes on to tell us what the facts are there in the next part of verse 36, because they were distressed and dispirited. When he looked out at people, he sees people who are distressed. He sees people who are beat up. Why? Because all of them like sheep have gone astray. Every person is trying to figure out life based upon their own abilities or they're trusting the religious leaders or they're trusting so-and-so or they're trusting this or they're trusting that. And all that does is lead, up to, lead to a life that just gets more and more banged up, even if it has the external appearances of success. But they're not just distressed, they're dispirited. Because one of the things that be, you begin to realize is Me getting right with God is hopeless. It dispirits you. It sucks the wind out of your sails. There is no hope of an individual making themselves right with God. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd. The characteristics of sheep is they cannot even provide for themselves. They can't direct their lives. And they cannot protect themselves. And so that's the characterization of people in their relationship with God. They can't provide spiritually for themselves. They can't direct their life spiritually in their relationship with God. And they cannot protect themselves from all the predators and the wrong ideas and the things that float around in this world in which we live. And Jesus, when he sees people like that, he feels and is moved with compassion. This is said several times about the Lord Jesus, not just in this case. And so the question is, how do you and I see people who do not know Christ? 
I mean, it probably depends upon how they're treating us, right? And part of what it means to be developing and a growing disciple of Christ is we switch our view of people from what we think about them and how they're treating us to the way God sees them. Because, I mean, I can look at people and I can be, say, wow, that is amazing that they could figure that out or they could develop that or look at that skill. Look at that success. Or I can look at them and say, you idiot. What in the world? I mean, I can go from excitement to frustration just like that. And most of the time, it has nothing to do with their spiritual condition. And one of the developmental things that God has to do in our hearts is that we begin to see people the way God sees them, where the most important thing is their relationship with Him. And if they do not have a relationship with Him, we just need to understand they cannot provide that relationship. They can't direct their lives into that relationship, and they can't protect themselves from the philosophies and the ways of this world. And so he felt compassion, and people who are going to be fishers of people need to feel compassion for people who are not yet followers of Jesus. The next thing he says is you need to know something. He says, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Now, if you get the first one straight, the second one happens automatically, right? If, if we begin to see people based upon their relationship with God, then all of a sudden we say, whoa, there's a lot of people who are like sheep without a shepherd. There's just a lot of people not right with God. The harvest is what? Plentiful. There is no lack here. And even if you want to narrow it down to the harvest being those that God's going to bring into his kingdom, there's still no lack. There's no lack at all when you begin to see this because this means the very successful people you work with if they do not know Christ, they're part of the harvest. They need to be reached with the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so, we need to know the harvest is plentiful. There is no lack of those. And thirdly then, follows directly, we need to see the great need for fishers. Jesus puts it this way. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, catch what's going on here. Verse 35 talks about Jesus going throughout the cities and towns and the villages of Galilee, and he's bringing and preaching and telling people about the gospel of the kingdom, and he's bringing the life of the kingdom to people, and there's nothing that he cannot bring the life to, demon-possessed people he can bring the life to, sick people he can bring the... There's no limitations. The kingdom of God can bring life every single place. But in the midst of all that, he sees the mass of people, and, he, and he, it's almost as if in this transition here, he says, I cannot personally reach them all. The harvest is plentiful, and right now I'm the only one fishing. 
I told you guys, when I called you, I will make you fishers of men. Now's the time. Now's the time. We need more people out fishing for people. And so he mobilizes, or if you will, he commissions these 12 to become part of the laborers in the field. And he gives us two actions that I want to emphasize here. The first action there is in verse 38. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is just something that also flows out of this attitude of seeing people's need for Christ, recognizing they cannot help themselves. In fact, I missed this. I should go back and point out what's the comparison between sheep and harvest? What's the comparison between a sheep and, let's say, wheat and the harvest field? And who knows, Jesus may have been standing between a field where people are laboring to bring the harvest in. What's the comparison? Can the wheat bring itself into the barn? No. Can sheep bring themselves into the kingdom of God? Can people bring themselves into the kingdom of God? No. Someone has to go to bring it in. That's why he says, man, pray to the Lord of the harvest to get laborers out there because they cannot bring themselves in. Someone has to go. That's why Paul would say in Romans, people are saved by the hearing of the gospel, but how are they going to hear unless someone says something? And how is people going to hear if someone doesn't go? Man, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so he says, pray. Pray. We need a lot of harvesters laboring the field. There's no lack of people that God's calling himself. There's a lack of people laboring in the harvest field. And so, pray. In fact, the word beseech means to pray in a begging way. Pray in a begging way. I was reminded of, uh, well, oh, so let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Let's say that you are out in a rowboat, and there's a bunch of other rowboats out there, or maybe they're bigger boats, but you're all out there, and all of a sudden a cruise ship starts to sink. Now, are you going to just say, I'm going to go save them all? You can't fit everybody on that cruise ship in your boat. What do you do? You go and you tell everybody else to get there fast, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. There's a harvest. Pray that a bunch of laborers would get out there into the harvest field and go. And go. And so, the first point of action is pray. And this is a very effective thing. And don't just pray for yourself. What's the point? Pray for labors in the harvest field. I got really convicted about this the end of last year, uh, as I was just reading through, I think. And I thought, this is not on my daily prayer list. And yet it's one of the few things that Jesus said to specifically pray for. I can pray for a whole bunch of other things, but I should be praying for what he said to pray for too, right? 
This should be a daily prayer for every follower of Jesus Christ. Praying for laborers, praying to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his field. Isn't that a great picture, by the way? He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the owner of the harvest. He's the one who, who owns the harvest. Uh, but he wants laborers to bring his harvest in. I mean, it's just a, it's an amazingly beautiful picture of what our role is in all this. So the second thing is, comes in the next uh, passage down there, and that is, he says, go work in the harvest, or to keep our analogy going, fish in the pond. Just go. And, and I, two things I want to point out here, because of the way they go together in a very powerful one way. He gives authority, and he calls very ordinary people. First of all, he gives authority. He gives authority, in verse 7, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Literally, we bring and say the kingdom of heaven is within reach. You can have it because of what Christ has done. And so the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he gives them the authority to preach just as he was preaching, and to, to cast out demons and to heal people to do exactly what he was doing. So you'll notice that he gives the same authority to the ones that he sends out of what he was doing. And so there's this amazing continuity of the work that goes on here. And so he gives them that authority to go and to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons... Freely you have received, freely give. But he gives this to ordinary people. Now, we read that 12, and we think they're apostles. These are great men. They were not great men right now. They weren't. They were very ordinary people. If anybody in the Jewish society would have evaluated this group of people, they would have said, these are a bunch of know-nothings, low-lifes, and probably one lawbreaker. Four of them are fishermen. A fisherman couldn't even testify in a court of law. His testimony wasn't considered listenable to. It wasn't authoritative. And then you got one, one guy who has been a tax collector when Jesus called to follow him, so he's working for Rome. You got another guy who's a zealot working to overthrow Rome. This ought to say something about our political views, by the way. And he puts them together on the same team, and there's, there's two or three of them we don't know anything else about in the Scriptures. We know nothing about them. These are very ordinary people when Jesus calls them to follow him. What makes them great people? They lived in the authority of Jesus period. They lived in the authority of Jesus, following Jesus. That's what makes them great. Do you know what God will do in your life, as Angel testified in his own life? We're all ordinary. I mean, let's just face the facts. I mean, Paul would say to the Corinthians, what, 
uh, not many of you are very wise. There's none of you all that great. We're all ordinary people. Do you want to experience something great? Live under the authority of Christ. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see what Jesus is about, what God is always about, is making his greatness known through people so that he gets the glory and the honor. So the people say, that was not Peter. That was not John. That was not Matthew. I mean, you read this gospel of Matthew and you have to say, that's not Matthew, a person. He was an ordinary dude ripping people off as a tax collector when Jesus said, follow me. Matthew followed him and look what you get. And so this is always God's pattern. He calls very ordinary people, people with all kinds of stuff, and he calls them to follow him, and as people follow him, they live in his authority, and they do the works of God to their surprise and to the salvation of other people. Now, these men were as prone to living in their own resources as any of us are. They were prone to make their own provisions for God's work. They were prone to set their own direction for God's work. They were prone to make sure that they stayed safe in God's work, just like any of us are. So did you notice what Jesus does when he sends them out? He rips that away. He rips away their ability to provide for themselves. He takes away their ability to direct themselves. And he says, you can't protect yourself either. Look at how he does this. Oh, I forgot this quote, sorry. So William Barclay says, these were very ordinary men. John Calvin says, they were men of obscurity and of no repute. Okay. Sorry about that. And so he does this. He says... I'm going to give you my authority. In order to make you live in my authority, I'm going to rip away your ability to provide for yourself. And I'm going to help you figure out how I'm directing you. I'm going to put you in a place where you have to pay attention to me. Now, now several of these men had experienced earlier when they were out fishing the verbal voice of the Lord saying, drop your net on the other side. There's a great catch of fish. Here he's going to teach them how to know where the catch of fish is when they go into villages, when they go into towns. And he's going to provide the protection for him because he's what? He's the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd. What does a shepherd do? The shepherd provides provision, direction, and protection. And when you live under his provision, you do more than you could ever do. When you live under his direction, you go where he's working and experience the work that he's doing. And when you live under his protection, you're safe to the extent that he wants you to be safe. And so that's what he does. So how does he provide provision here? How does he make sure that they don't provide based upon their own resources? Look at verses 9 and 10. 
Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. He's saying, do not take three suitcases with you. He's saying, do not take a backpack. He's saying, don't even take an outer coat to keep you warm at night. Whoa. He's saying, I'm your good shepherd. I want you to live dependent upon me for provision of what to eat and how to stay warm tonight and a place to live. It's a funny thing about we people, we human beings. When we get desperate about our provision, we're more open to his direction. (laughs) And that's what he does. Because he says, I'm going to supply you. The worker is worthy of provision. And I'm going to supply provision to you, but my provision is linked in with my direction. And so when you go into these places where you have no reservations and you have no ability to feed yourself and you have no ability to keep warm at night, I will provide a place where I am working, and that is where you will receive freely, and freely you give. Well, how do you figure that out? Well, notice how often the word worthy is used here. He says, in whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at that house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. He basically paints a picture here of when you go into these places, you give a blessing. And if the person is open to that blessing, they would respond to you. And they would even invite you to come in and to have a meal with them. They would invite you to spend the night there. Now, what's Jesus doing here? He's saying, you can't figure out where I'm working. You don't understand the harvest field. So let me, let me just put it this way. Where a person receives a blessing from you, where they'll provide a meal for you, where they'll pl- provide a place for you to stay, I'm working there. You receive that because you're working for me and you're worthy of that. And that house is worthy, those people in that house are worthy of your presence because you're one of mine. And you stay there and fish. And so you drop the bait, a blessing of greeting. They nibble, drop another bait. They invite you for a meal, drop some more bait. You spend the night. You get the picture, right? And so he ties in their need for provision with him giving direction on where to go. And then he adds in, I send you out as sheep among wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. He says, I'll I'll, I'll protect you. You be shrewd and I will protect you. And so they go. And there's a lot more here, but they go. 
And over the next few years, they go more and more. And uh, he gives them that great commission in Matthew 28. The Holy Spirit comes upon them in Acts chapter 1. The day of Pentecost comes, they begin to preach. And under their ministry of proclaiming the kingdom of God, 3,000 people get caught. Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Did Jesus deliver on his promise? Yes or no? Yeah. Did he deliver on his promises in ways that they could never have imagined, even here in Matthew 10? Yeah. Why? Because God's a great God, and he sees the harvest field, and he wants the laborers to work in it, and he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we can ask or think. Now, how does this work out in our lives? Well, let me just give you a couple practical things, and Tom already gave you one thing, but this 8 to 15, okay, let me tell you who should be on here. I don't think we've ever explained this very well. So here's the deal. You just keep dropping bait. Just keep dropping bait. I know, I mean, it's, it's a little bit hard because most of us don't need to depend upon the Lord for provision to drive us into relationships, right? If you're in that place in life, as hard as it may be, there's a real health to not being able to meet and provide for your own needs and having to depend upon people and trusting them for opportunities for the gospel. But most of us don't need to do that. So what's the deal with 8 to 15? The deal is that you just fish, recognizing you have no idea where the fish are going to bite, right? You just fish. So at work, you fish. You give somebody the pen. If they throw it back at you, don't add them to this list. <laughs> God is not working there, at least not right now. They are not worthy of your time or effort. You and I cannot catch where God is not working. If they receive the pen, hey, that's a step. God may very well be at work here. You do something else. You take them out to lunch. Or maybe they have a particular need. You know, my father's dying. Can you come pray for him? It can be any number of things, but you move towards them and see what God is going to do. Because all we can do is go where God is working. And the people that God is working in their lives, we put on this card, and this is where we put our effort in discipling people into a relationship with Christ. This is not to be a list of people you want to see come to Christ. This is to be a list of people where you are expending your energy because God is working and there's some evidence of that. Because we cannot make disciples where God is not working. And so we invite them into our home. We invite them out to lunch. We invite them, whatever it might be, to our life group. And we just keep fishing. We just keep dropping bait. And we keep saying, God, are you working here? If you're working here, I'll be a laborer here. Because this is your harvest field. And we trust the Lord to do all of that. 
And so the attitudes for fishing, feeling compassion because we see people the way Jesus sees them, knowing that the harvest is plentiful, you do not have to sit on your hands wondering about this one. Praying for labors into the harvest field and being a laborer in the harvest field. Let's pray together. Let's just be obedient to that first command. Let's just pray to the Lord of the harvest for labors in his harvest field. And then just a little bit of even more personal response. What does it look like uh, as far as each of our individual going and uh, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near? What does it look like? How's our fishing going? I guess that's what I'm asking. How's our fishing going? Are we dropping the hook in the water? Could we drop it in more? Where people are biting and showing some spiritual interest, are we investing more of our lives in those people? Lord, I want to thank you that uh, we're very ordinary people that have extraordinary authority upon our lives as we follow you. You're the one who has given us and told us that all authority in heaven and on earth is yours, and you have commissioned us to go and make disciples of all people. And Lord, we want to live in that authority. We want to live in relationship with you, following you. And so Jesus, wherever we're at in this process of being made fishers of men, Spirit of God, would you develop us to whatever that next step is for your name's sake and for the eternal salvation of the people around us. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.